In 2016, American 28-year-old Edgar Madison Welch walked into a Washington pizza restaurant armed with three guns. He opened fire on an office door with an assault rifle. And what did he think would be behind it? Proof of a massive child trafficking operation. According to a rumor that he'd read online during the presidential campaign, this pizza restaurant was acting as cover for a cabal of pedophiles. However, behind the door, he only found a hat stand and a cupboard with a computer that employees used to play music. He wanted to play an action hero, but instead ended up with four years in prison, all due to a baseless theory he'd read online. Orange presents the memo. Hello, Chloe. Hello, Joe. As this tragic story shows, online theories can sometimes have real-life consequences. So, how do you go from reading false information on the web to an armed raid on a family pizza restaurant? How do these conspiracy theories grow and gain momentum online? Does the very architecture of web platforms favor the propagation of false rumors? That's what we're going to explore in this, the latest episode of The Memo. To start with, conspiracy theories are as old as culture itself. They've gone hand-in-hand with major events like the Black Death, the 9-11 attacks, and the moon landings. But like me, you may have noticed that new conspiracy theories have been spreading everywhere the past few years. Yes, as we saw with this American father who ended up in prison, these theories resonate with certain people even if they surfaced from questionable internet sources. For example, this idea of a secret pedophile ring involving elite members of the Democratic Party emerged from 4chan, the popular internet message board. The claims came from one user known only as Q. Nobody knows who that is, or even if it's a real person. But a real community has sprung up around their posts, known as QAnon. Anon refers to anonymous, but that's also what 4chan users call themselves. Which is what makes the movement so unique, the fact that it's intangible and anonymous. According to US magazine The Atlantic, QAnon is not tied to a physical location, but has infrastructure, literature, growing membership, and lots of merchandise to sell. For QAnon, all contradictions can be justified. No argument against it can beat it. And unlike historical comparisons, conspiracies spread much quicker today. Yes, with the internet, what is crucial is the capacity for a conspiracy to become viral. And to be quicker than traditional media. Conspiracists understand that well. In an interview given to the Figaro in 2019, Rudi Reichstadt, director of the ConspiracyWatch.info site, explained that social networks, their algorithms and smartphones have created conditions that are particularly conducive to the return of magical thinking. What are these conditions he's talking about? I mean... Are web platforms really helping to spread disinformation? For disinformation to be effective, it has to spread massively. This is where the bots come in. A bot is a sort of software that operates autonomously and automatically, performing precise and repeated tasks. So a bot can manage a Facebook or Twitter account, create hashtags, retweet its own posts all day, and influence the news. According to the Quebec-based Science Presse, researchers at Carnegie Mellon University in the U.S. have analyzed more than 200 million tweets about COVID-19. 
They found that 45% of their authors appear to be bot accounts designed solely to spread conspiracy theories, fake news, and other harmful or misleading messages. That's to say that almost half of what I see on Twitter comes from a robot? Mind-boggling. To understand the risks, I recommend reading a fascinating report published jointly by the French Ministry of Europe and Foreign Affairs and the Minister of the Armed Forces. The risk of information manipulation has considerably increased with the proliferation of digital platforms. The overabundance of information, the low cost of its distribution, and the democratization of content with a journalistic appearance weakens our vigilance. There is one last point that struck me. The report notes that the internet has no borders, and therefore foreign powers can easily infiltrate communities and spread false news there. According to experts, this is a practice that the Russian government has, for example, been using extensively for many years. That's right. On numerous occasions, the Russian government has been accused of using hashtags and mass posting to exacerbate racial tensions in the U.S., most notably in 2020 with the Black Lives Matter movement. In St. Petersburg, there is even a troll factory where dozens of young people are paid to create fake content and flood the web with articles, blogs, and tweets to influence opinion. According to the independent site The Conversation, false accounts create the illusion that information is supported by several thousand to millions of people, making it more, quote-unquote, reliable. Finally, they use quite classic viral marketing techniques which don't cost very much to get going. Yes, hashtags or Facebook pages aimed at arousing emotion and fueling controversy around certain newsworthy topics. These become dangerous when they are used on a large scale to try and influence citizens' behavior. The goal is not necessarily to make them believe something in particular, but to exacerbate tensions and spread doubt in democratic institutions. And in pandemic times, when we're all spending more time in front of our screens, the risks of disinformation are bigger. Especially since conspiracy theorists are redoubling efforts so they can get their message out, as the MIT Technology Review says. I quote, they use the same techniques that allowed YouTubers to become celebrities. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., an American who spreads false information about the link between vaccines and autism, is one example. YouTube and Facebook both banned him from their platforms in 2018. But when he was kicked out of the door, he just came in through the window, so to speak. Yes, the MIT Technology Review said that he was invited to talk at length on the channel of another YouTuber with 2.2 million followers. The result was more than a million views in two days. And even though one of the videos was taken down a few days later, it had plenty of time to circulate in massive numbers. It reminds me of the French documentary, Hold Up. Yes, absolutely. This is the documentary that stated, according to Le Monde, that COVID-19 would turn out to be little more than a flu, and that the world's citizens have been fooled by a corrupt global elite. Even though it was later proved that there were factual errors in the documentary, it was viewed 2.7 million times in six days. In this case, too, the web again helped to amplify things. Yes, among other things, an Instagram post from the actress Sophie Marceau with her 500,000 subscribers significantly helped to boost its visibility. But can we conclude that the web is a conspiracy factory? If the web itself cannot be blamed for all the ills in the world, it is up to the users what they use it for, we understand that the architecture of certain platforms like Facebook or Twitter favors the dissemination of these theories and their subsequent use by more traditional media. 
A recent article published in The Atlantic says, every time you click a reaction button on Facebook, an algorithm saves it and refines its portrayal of who you are. Micro-targeting of users made possible by the collection of their personal data creates the perfect environment for manipulation. From advertisers, political campaigns, fake news spreaders, and of course by Facebook itself, which ultimately controls what you see or don't see on the site. The first consequence of that is that it seems like we all see the same information on our Facebook wall when we don't at all. Each newsfeed is different depending on what the algorithm chooses for us, which creates this famous filter bubble effect. Yes, and the second worrisome mechanism is the scale of Facebook. The network controls millions of news pages, which is a potential danger to democratic debate. The Atlantic notes that in every situation of extremist violence that we have studied, we have found Facebook posts. And they've reached a lot of people. The very broad reach is what normalizes extremism and makes it mainstream. So, have Facebook and the other networks taken action to limit the circulation of conspiracy theories? They tried a little, as the New York Times reported in November 2020. Facebook launched a survey of its users to differentiate between posts that are, quote, good for the planet and those that are bad for the planet. First, Facebook asked its algorithms to remove posts perceived to be bad for the planet. But with this result, I quote, it also reduced the number of times users opened Facebook. The Atlantic therefore concludes that Facebook has calibrated the algorithm so that just enough dangerous content is left in the news to keep users coming back. So, Chloe, how do we act to limit the impact of disinformation on our democracies? Well, the European Union and the British Parliament are working on this specific issue. In December 2020, European leaders proposed regulations that would bind the platforms. I quote from the New York Times. The regulations proposed by the European Union would force companies to do more to prevent the spread of hate speech and the sale of counterfeits and to provide more information on how targeted advertising works. That's rather ambitious. Yes, but lawmakers insist, and I quote, with great size comes great responsibility. Thank you, Chloe, and thank you everyone for listening to us. If you like this episode, don't hesitate to share it or leave us a comment on your favourite podcast app. See you soon. You are listening to The Memo, an orange podcast.